Let me ask you something. What if there was someone out there who kept a log of every single thing you did every minute of the day? That would probably creep you out. Well, that's exactly what happens every time you go online. Your internet provider stores logs of every website you've ever visited and can legally sell this data to anyone. Worse yet, the government can obtain your data via bulk FISA order, even if you're not personally suspected of any crime. That's why I use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers so your internet provider can't see or log what you do online. Visit expressvpn.com slash mullen right now and find out how you can get three months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash mullen. Protect your data and get three months for free today. Every revolution starts in the minds of the people. Arm yourself for the war of ideas. Take back your life. Take back your liberty. Tom Mullen talks freedom. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, and a happy Thanksgiving to all. I'm actually recording this the day after Thanksgiving, and I wanted to talk a little bit today uh, on a subject that I've written about and perhaps done a podcast before in the past about, but it's something that I think can't be said enough, and I'm going to add some more information that I haven't previously covered. And that is socialism in America. Contrary to popular belief, there has been a lot of attempts at establishing socialism in America starting at the very beginning of American history. And when I say American history, I really mean U.S. history because American history could mean when the uh, first Asians came over uh, the Bering Strait into the Americas, uh, those being what we used to call Indians and now we call Native Americans, except when you actually talk to any of these Native Americans my age or older, they refer to themselves as as Indians and uh, don't take that as some kind of um, demeaning uh, phrase. Uh, Of course, it was never meant that way and, and they didn't take it that way. And, of course, you could then also say, well, if that's not really the start of American history, it was really when Europeans came, you could also talk about uh, the first Spanish colonization of America and uh, colonization by some of the other countries, the Dutch. But really, when you're talking about United States history, this grows out of the British colonization of America starting with the colony in Jamestown, Virginia, and followed soon after by the colony in Plymouth, Massachusetts. And, of course, there's a lot of popular mythology about both of these uh, experiences, these colonies. Uh, Most people are most familiar around Thanksgiving with the Plymouth colony and their purported Thanksgiving dinner with the... um, Uh, the Indians or Native Americans uh, after their first harvest. And people inclined to listen to this podcast have probably heard something about the fact that during the first couple of years uh, of the Plymouth Colony that they had a communist economy. And, you know, critics of, of those of us who point this out will say, well, 
This was by private contract, and this is no different than a business partnership. Fine, it, it wasn't a political system that was inherently communist, but once the Pilgrims got to uh, Massachusetts, they really had no other choice but to follow the charter, and this is really no different than the constitution of a government, um, and, and they um, voluntarily participated in what they called a communal system. And, uh, and it was a disaster, just like it always is in every country and every place that it's ever practiced. Uh, of course, the pilgrims, everybody knows the pilgrims starved the first winter. They lost half their number due to starvation, exposure, disease. And then uh, they sent more pilgrims over the next summer. And uh, over the following winter, they lost half their number again. So um, under this communist system, of course, they starved as the Russians starved, as they starved in Ukraine, as they starved in China, as they starved in Ethiopia during the 80s. Remember that? And we were all told it was because of a drought, except the famine started before the drought. And it turns out this was just another experiment in uh, centrally planned communal farming that went bad and resulted in mass starvation. I don't remember them telling us that in the 80s, but that's what actually happened. Anyway, the uh, pilgrims, the people we call the pilgrims, the Massachusetts colonists, finally had had enough of this, and especially their governor, William Bradford, came up with an idea. And I'll just read you his words. I'm a primary source kind of guy. So uh, here is what Bradford said solved the problem in the Plymouth Colony. He said he writes, at length, after much debate of things, the governor, with the advice of the chiefest amongst them, gave way that they should set corn every man for his own particular, and in that regard, trust to themselves in all other things to go on in the general way as before. And so assigned to every family a parcel of land according to the proportion of their number for that end, only for present use, but made no division for inheritance, and ranged all boys and youth under some family. This had very good success, for it made all hands very industrious, so as much more corn was planted than otherwise would have been by any other means the governor or any other could use, and saved him a great deal of trouble and gave far better content. So after establishing even this imperfect private property model, the pilgrims never starved again. And that seems to be a pretty important lesson, but I would wager that no school child in America in our lifetimes has ever been taught this lesson. I certainly didn't, uh, wasn't. I wasn't taught this. Um, but if you're going to spend a good part of November in school, cutting out cray paper, I don't know if they still do this, but when, when I was in school, we would cut out uh, little pilgrim's hats and the belt buckles and, and of course, the uh, uh, Native American headdresses and we would decorate the classroom with corn husks and all this kind of um, uh, nostalgic um, decoration to celebrate Thanksgiving, okay, and its, and its origin in uh, what happened at this Plymouth colony. But, but no one ever tells you, like, the moral of the story, okay? And, and you have to ask yourself why that is. How can you spend so many weeks 
at the very least, talking about what happened there. We've got movies about it. We have all sorts of, of like I said, popular mythology about this. But no one ever even mentions the most important part of the whole story, which is why were they starving and how did they solve that? How did they stop starving? And the answer is they set up a somewhat capitalist system. I mean, they couldn't inherit the land because the land actually belonged to this company that sent them over there. And don't forget, like a lot of these people were indentured servants um, so they had kind of sold themselves into temporary slavery um, so that uh, to get their passage over there. And some of them were criminals who were just placed in indentured servitude. Uh, and, and some of them were not. And um, in any case, they adopted this private property system. And presto, uh, the starvation problem was solved. And it's not like this was lost on Bradford either because he actually does an aside in his, mer- uh, his narrative so that people don't miss the point here. And again, I'll read his words exactly. The experience that was had in this common course and condition tried sundry years and that amongst godly and sober men may well evince that va- the vanity of that conceit of Plato's and other ancients applauded by some of later times that the taking away of property and bringing in community into a commonwealth would make them happy and flourishing as if they were wiser than God. So he says an awful lot in that little paragraph. First of all, he acknowledges that this idea of communism had been around since at least Plato and uh, and applauded by other ancients. Now, remember, in Plato's Republic, his guardians uh, all hold their property in common. He thinks this is the ideal society. Um, and, of course, he wants uh, children taken away from their parents and educated by the state. As you've often heard me say, uh, quip, you know, every communist since Plato has wanted this. And, of course, we basically have that today. Uh, the school system now takes children away from their parents as early as three years old, sometimes even younger, to get them into preschool uh, and get them under the influence of the government if they can. So one of the things that, of course, they're never taught is this lesson. But Bradford's basically saying, well, I'll tell you what, it was really, really terrible, but at least we proved this communism thing doesn't work. No one will ever make that mistake again. (laughs) So... um, so Bradford thought it was pretty important. And, of course, um, you know, some right-wingers sometimes latch onto this story and pretend that they want uh, a free market, private property, and uh, individual liberty. Of course, they don't, but, uh, you know, it, it sells tickets. It, it gets, it gets uh, donations rolling into politicians, and then when they get into office, of course, they spend more than the Democrats. But um, putting that aside... As I said, this is not the only time that this happened. So we've got all the mythology about the pilgrims leaves out the most important point. Well, what's the other colony that we have all kinds of mythology about? We've got Disney movies about it, and that's the Jamestown colony and the totally fictional uh, supposed romance between Captain John Smith and Pocahontas. Now, Smith doesn't even mention his relationship with Pocahontas and his earlier memoirs, but in uh, one that he wrote in 1624, 
he finally does. And I'll have links to all these in the show notes page today. And he just mentions that the, the uh, story about how Pocahontas once saved his life because she was the daughter of the chieftain and um, she advocated for him. Now, one of the things that, you know, first of all, Pocahontas did marry one of the colonists, but it was, it was somebody else much later because she was only about 12 years old uh, when Captain John Smith would have known her. So this whole, you know, romantic fantasy about him and Pocahontas is complete fiction. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it makes a good story. It made a good movie for the kids and uh, or the adolescents or whomever it was aimed at. And this is what people know about the Jamestown colony. They've also heard, of course, about the starving time in the Jamestown colony. And some of the um, uh, reasons for that are given are like mosquitoes. <laughs> and of course, that the colonists liked, liked, supposedly like the pilgrims were somehow incompetent at growing food once they got to the new world or they didn't know how to grow it here. And only the Indians kept them alive. And of course, the Indians did give help to the Plymouth colonists and, uh, and, and not so much to the Jamestown colonists. In fact, the Jamestown colonists were so inept that the Indians didn't respect them because they couldn't even feed themselves. So they were very standoffish for the most part to the Jamestown colonists and just thought, why should we bother with these people? Um, but what saved the Jamestown colonists? Again, you know, one of the popular mythologies is that, you know, John Smith came in there with his bullhorn. I'm being anachronistic here, but, um, and just ordered everybody, you work harder or you don't eat. Uh, and supposedly just this, this great leader uh, barking orders uh, save the Jamestown colonies. Of course, that didn't happen either. I mean, Smith did do that, and it might have got some marginal extra productivity out of them, but they were still starving. But let's get uh, John Smith's own words about what saved the Jamestown, Jamestown colony. He's got a subsection here in his memoir called The Benefit of Liberty in the Planners. And this is John Smith writing now. When our people were fed out of the common store and labored jointly together, glad was he who could slip from his labor or slumber over tasks he cared not how. Nay, the most honest among them would hardly take so much true pains in a week as now for themselves they will do in a day. Neither cared they for the increase, presuming that howsoever the harvest prospered, the general store must maintain them so that we reap not so much from uh, corn from the labors of 30 as now three or four do provide for themselves. To prevent which, Sir Thomas Dale hath allotted every man three acres of clear ground in the nature of farms, except the Bermudas, who are exempted, but for one month's service in the year, which must neither be in seed time nor harvest, for which doing, no other duty they pay yearly to the store." but two barrels and a half of corn from all those farmers whereof the first was William Spence, this is a parenthesis here, an honest, valiant, and industrious man, and hath continued from 1607 to this present. From those is expected such a contribution to the store as we shall neither want for ourselves nor to entertain our supplies. For the rest, they are to work 11 months for the store and hath one month only allowed to them to get provision to keep them for 12 except two bushels of corn they have out of the store. 
If those can live so, why should they fear starving? And he goes on to talk about some of the other exploits of uh, Sir Thomas Dale and how he uh, dealt with other problems for the colony. But the point, again, is the same, is that what saved the Jamestown colonists was being allotted a plot of their own land. And even then, they weren't, they weren't allowed to, to keep everything. They were just allowed to keep most of what they earned for part of the year and still had to contribute to the store, a lot like taxation. Um, but just as our experience today, just this wee little bit of capitalism, of private property, was enough to, take, to end the starving time. So the, the experiences in Jamestown and Plymouth were exactly the same. They had the same problems, and their, their problems had the same cause, and the solution was the same in both places. So we never hear about this. I, I had to hear about this, I don't know, decades after I first learned about the pilgrims in Jamestown in uh, my schooling, and I, I went to all Catholic schools, so this is not just a public school problem. Uh, I would say it's a problem with schooling in America, and uh, probably the ideology of the people who do that schooling. I mean, there's really only two possible explanations for why nobody knows these things. Number one, the uh, information is being deliberately kept from school children. They're not taught the most important lesson about the very beginning of American history. And for the reason that nobody wants to admit that only private property and a more or less free market uh, promotes prosperity. And that conversely, communism leads to starvation everywhere and always where it's tried. So, I would submit there are people in the education industry who don't want kids to know that. And then the other explanation is they just don't even know. So what are they doing teaching? If they don't know this, and this is, again, these are firsthand accounts from very famous people. These are the words of William Bradford. I think everybody knows his name as the governor of the Plymouth Colony, and everybody knows Captain John Smith. Okay, or know, at least knows his name and knows the whole fictional Pocahontas story. And everyone knows Pocahontas' name. But nobody knows this. But really, there's no other reason to, to teach about these colonies other than to teach this central lesson. Yet it is not taught. And you have to ask yourself why that is. So if anything if if the the pilgrims or the jamestown colonists were thankful for anything they were thankful for what we would now call capitalism and of course this wasn't laissez faire free markets by any stretch of the imagination um really it, this this was a lot more like china china was a communist country for what uh let's call it 40 years approximately 1949 to approximately 1989 or maybe 1979 they started to make reforms and of course they're not by any means laissez-faire free markets today but there's there's the, the little daylight of capitalism mixed in with their state-run economy and that's why they're they've had explosive growth over the last four or five decades especially in the last three 
Now, of course, President Xi is not real happy with this. He, he's not happy with the lack of dependence and the independence that prosperity brings to private actors. He doesn't like that. He wants the state to be give, to be barking orders and these people to be saying, yes, sir. And so China's sliding back under his reign somewhat. Uh, America, I would say, the United States has been sliding back a lot faster than China is now. Uh, of course, you know, the United States started from much closer to laissez-faire capitalism at, by the end of the 19th century. And, of course, it's fine to be thankful to God for the bounty that they uh, experienced, but God was there the whole time. You know, what was different after Sir Thomas Dale granted every everybody three acres of land and William Bradford did the same thing in, in Plymouth? What was different was private property. What was different was people keeping the fruits of their labor. So they and we should be thankful for capitalism, which is what built the, the modern civilization that we live in today. Now, I'm sure I have some uh, grade school teachers, some high school teachers, and let me ask you, have you taught your students this lesson? Do they have any idea what saved the Jamestown colonists, what saved the Plymouth colonists? And if not, why not? Have you read Bradford's memoir? Have you read John Smith's memoir? Memoir? How can you be teaching school children if you haven't even read the primary sources? So that's my challenge to every teacher listening here today, that if you're going to teach any, if you're going to mention either one of these colonies in your history lessons, you have to tell them this because the, all these surveys that show that, you know, young people have a more favorable view of socialism than capitalism, um, you know, this is one of the reasons, is they've, ne they've never heard any of this. Of course, what they're taught about the totalitarian communist uh, countries in the 20th century, they're led to believe that it was just real mean leaders. It was just the authoritarianism that, uh, that led to their uh, failure. But it wasn't. There's been plenty of totalitarian societies. Most of them have been totalitarian in human history, but they didn't starve to death in the midst of plenty. Only the communist countries do you find that, uh, that master. And, and by the way, you know, the demonization, of course, Hitler should be demonized, the, the Nazi. Uh, no capitalist there either. Another um, misconception that because the fascists and the Nazis allowed the business owners to uh, keep the title of ownership to their businesses, that somehow this was capitalism. No, the, the, the fascists would tell the business owners what to produce, how much to produce, and if they didn't go along with the state's orders, they would just go in there and move the owner out and put somebody else in charge. That was fascism and, and, uh, and Nazism. And I've covered this in other writing. Mussolini said this. We want to rule in the economic sphere as much as we do in the political and social. That the state is everything. The state gives the orders. Uh, Mussolini, by the way, never said that fascism is the merger of corporate and government power. He never said that. And the whole idea of that implies that the, that, that the private sector has some sort of power that corporations, as we know them today, have power. This is another misconception. They have no power. 
Power is the ability to use force with impunity. Only the government has power. So this is just a left-wing way to try to make um, the uh, the fascist system sound something more like capitalism uh, because they imagine that corporations have power. By the way, corporation didn't even mean the same thing when when Mussolini said it. Corporation meant taking all the companies in a sector, let's say all the sugar producers, and making them into a cartel. That's what a corporation was. It was this this cartelization of all like producers. Um, so he wasn't even talking about like, you know, Apple or Google or whatever, whatever corporation you want to name, uh, Exxon. The Exxon would not have been a corporation in Mussolini's terms. Uh, all of the oil producers or all of the energy producers put together into a cartel and, and taking orders from the state, that was a corporation. For Mussolini, but I I uh, I digress. <laughs> so um, then the last thing I'll say is that these two experiments were not the last experiments with socialism in America. There were actually over a hundred more. Now, since you know they had this new individual liberty supposedly guaranteed by the Constitution, um, you know the the attitude that uh, Americans took in the 19th century was, if you want to have a socialist commune, go ahead and do it. And lots of people did. Lots of rich guys said, oh, it would be much better if we set up a a communist system and uh, didn't have for-profit enterprises. There were at least 119 of them in the 19th century in America, and all 119 failed for the same reasons that they were failing in Plymouth and they were failing in Jamestown and they failed in China and they failed in Russia and everywhere else this idea has been tried. The longest one lasted 10 years. And basically what that was was, you know, just just wasting and draining the capital that was put in at the beginning. There was just a lot more for that one and it took 10 years for them to run out of other people's money, as uh, Margaret Thatcher once said. So luckily, the ideas of Adam Smith, although he made economic errors, but in general, uh, the idea of the invisible hand, that society will be benefited more from people working in their self-interest while property rights are protected all around than for all the do-gooders in the world who claim to be working for somebody else. You know, uh, I just was last week, if you uh, tuned in for the interview with Ray Novoselsky, and his series on George Bailey. And you're probably familiar with my take on it that Potter was the hero. Um, you know, the George Baileys of the world, you know who is George Bailey? Sam Bankman Freed, the, the scam artist. Just really like George Bailey, only that they don't come out and say it in It's a Wonderful Life. But Sam Bankman Freed com- uh, claimed that he was not doing this for himself, he's not doing this to amass wealth, he's doing it for the good of humanity. And his scheme turned out the same way George Bailey's did, except he didn't have $2 left uh, as uh, Bailey did in his wonderful life after he conned all his customers to bail him out. So um, if you're going to be thankful for something, uh, be thankful that capitalism is still there. It's, it's highly intervened with. It's highly meddled with. It's laboring under burdensome regulations 
But yeah, we still have a, a somewhat capitalist system, which is why we're still alive. And if anything, we should be thankful for capitalism and we should be demanding that we are allowed to become more capitalist, that we're allowed to start peeling back all of these horrible interventions that make the rich richer. But by the way, capitalism has a leveling effect too. Um, the, the gap between rich and poor is a function of, mainly of the Federal Reserve because what happens is that whenever, whenever creative destruction is supposed to happen in the economy, the government comes in and bails out all the people who made bad decisions. That's not capitalism. Capitalism has losses. When, when in 2008, when, when everybody bought too many mortgage-backed securities, they should have gone bankrupt. Now, yes, uh, the Federal Reserve influenced those people with, um, with artificially low interest rates and all sorts of other bad incentives, somewhat forcing lenders to lend to people who couldn't afford to pay their, their loans back. But there were plenty of banks and financial institutions that had not taken the bait. And those companies were ripped off in 2008 when they bailed out Goldman Sachs and Bank of America and all these these leading financial institutions should have gone bankrupt and those wiser companies should have taken over their market share, bought their assets in bankruptcy court and gone on to manage things better. The way Potter managed things better and it's a wonderful life. Uh, but they weren't allowed to. And that intervention had nothing to do with capitalism. Capitalism has losses. You make bad decisions, you go out of business and somebody buys up your assets and makes better decisions. So we ought to be asking, demanding more of that. And this next crash that's coming, whenever it comes, this year, next year, the year after, when all these malinvestments that have been accumulating since uh, the $6 trillion bailout after the lockdowns in 2020, um, sooner or later, those are going to have to be li liquidated. Okay, there's going to have to be another cleansing process uh, where the market comes in and says, none of this is viable. You've sent capital to unproductive ends, and uh, we're going to have to switch it back. Okay, that is the market working, but the problem wasn't created by the market. The problem was created by the intervention into the market, uh, first by locking everybody down and then printing $6 trillion and basically handing it out so people could live under the, the delusion that they could stop producing but keep on consuming. You know, there's plenty of lefties out there that are resentful of uh, institutions like Goldman Sachs. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, they shouldn't even be here anymore. They should be gone, just like Bear Stearns or Lehman Brothers, um, because they should have gone bankrupt uh, in 2008, 15 years ago. That would have been capitalism. What we did instead was not capitalism. Nevertheless, I am thankful for what capitalism we have left here uh, in America and in the world, and I'm hopeful that people will wake up and be thankful for it as well. And we can get back to being the classically liberal, now called libertarian country that made us so rich in the first place.
All right, friends, that's going to do it for today. Just a few reminders to stop by TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash support and check out all the ways that you can support my efforts here, including joining my Patreon or my Substack. And if you haven't already, make sure that you go to itsthefedstupid.com to download a copy of my free ebook, It's the Fed Stupid. And as always, if you like the music you've heard here on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can hear more at tommullensings.com. Thanks for listening. The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.